This is the last. Renewed in the spirit of your mind, knowing how the life of God gets inside. And if I had said the very first time we started this that we were going to be 20 weeks, you wouldn't have believed it except you'd say, no, it's Cedarview. It could easily be. Here's where I want to wrap this up with a very, I think, not deep theology, but a good simple reminder about thankfulness and the maintenance of a renewed mind. Thankfulness and the maintenance of a renewed mind. Luke 17, 11 to 19, let me read. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell at, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. There's another good Samaritan, not the one you're familiar with. 17. And then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he, Jesus, said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. If you still have the old King James, it's interesting the way it says, And your faith has made you whole. There's just so much in this account of the healed lepers that you, you almost have to hurry to get through it all. Here's what I want to do. One, we see the goodness of Jesus in responding to the cry of human need. We don't know anything about these uh, ten men. I think... It's safe to assume that most of them, maybe nine of them, were Jewish because the one who comes back is specifically called this foreigner, this Samaritan. Another thing that would indicate they're probably Jewish and know the law is that they keep their distance. That was required. Not everything was known about leprosy then that is known now. So they keep their distance, even from Jesus. They seem to know the law when he says, go show yourself to the priest. They seem to know that that's a requirement, and it was. It's interesting to me, Jesus doesn't ask any of them if they were believers in him. He doesn't ask if they had any intention in the world in following him. If I were Jesus, I would have checked that out before I healed them. We don't know if they were godly or ungodly. Jesus doesn't even ask. It's a strange account. But at least they all deserve this much credit, and it kind of relates to prayer groups being introduced. At least they deserve this much credit. All of them. They 
cried out to Jesus with their need. And it just seems like that's always a good idea. You have not because you ask not, James says. They didn't know if they deserved it, if they were worthy, what he would do. But they cried out to him. They came with their need to Jesus. And to Jesus, it just seems like that was enough. They weren't theologians, nor are most of us. And they called upon the name of the Lord. And incredibly, it never seemed to even dawn on them whether or not they were worthy of our Lord's attention and ministry. Here's what I like about them. It's basically the whole first point. They knew their moment when they saw it. They had a need. They saw Jesus and they put two and two together and they weren't going to go without asking. Is that just too simple a lesson for us anymore? They knew their moment. This is where I am. This is Jesus. I'm going to go and I'm going to ask. That's more spiritual alertness than a lot of people possess, and that opened the door for their miracle. They just refused to miss a great opportunity to bring their need to Jesus. Point number two. They all obeyed Jesus, and they all received from the Lord. So probably it looks like these men knew who Jesus was. That's why they called out to him when they saw him. Probably they had seen him heal people before. Sometimes he put his hands on people. They had seen him reach out to people who were blind or lame. They had probably seen him reach out and touch a man who was a leper, and nobody then would touch a leper. But Jesus did. And they remembered that. They remembered that because maybe, maybe they heard the crowd gasp as Jesus touched this leper. Nobody in his right mind would actually do that. So they remembered seeing Jesus do things. They remembered what they heard about Jesus. We, of course, we have the same, the same thing. You can go through the Gospels. It's a very scriptural thing to focus on the demonstrations of God's love to nourish faith in the present. We've seen the greatest demonstration, something these lepers never lived to see. We have seen Jesus die on the cross for our sins. We've seen the greatest demonstration of God's grace. We sing about it. We used to. Remember we used to sing, Come and stand beneath the blood-stained cross, proof of his unchanging love for us. These lepers had less to go on. It was all so different for them. In fact, this time, Jesus didn't touch any of them. That's an interesting thing. He didn't seem, as far as we can tell, to even approach them. He just... I don't know. It, it does seem a little distant, doesn't it? He just shouted out some instructions to them. Go show yourself to the priest. You, go show yourself to the priest. How far were they? And, and, and so they turned and started walking 
and nothing happened. Nothing at all. They heard him shout. They looked down at their decaying bodies. They heard him say, go show yourself to the priest. And there's got to be one or two of them in there that just thought, are, are you are you nuts? Like, to their credit, at least they didn't say anything like that out loud. It's really quite amazing that all ten of these men, as far as we know, when Jesus shouted out his instructions, they simply turned, they went to the temple as Jesus had instructed, and surely, somewhere along the way, maybe right at the temple gate, surprisingly, they were healed, all ten of them, looking at each other. I mean, we can't really picture what this moment was like, this death sentence. Nothing happened right away. Jesus never touched any of them. They just did what Jesus said. They walked. When they got right to the temple, hey, wait, look. All of them completely, miraculously healed. Now, just think for a minute what that would mean. Because it, it's not easy, real easy, for us to digest the significance of the miracle then, in that time. For the first time, some of them could actually go back to their homes, back to their wives. How long had it been since they hugged? And they could do that. How long had it been since they could play with their own children? How long before they could work and get a job and provide for their families? They could be with people again. They didn't just, like, they didn't just get their bodies back. They got their lives back. Probably they were very anxious to go about living again. It's understandable. Point number three. One of them, only one, takes the time to retrace the steps of healing right back to Jesus and express thanks. Luke, Luke the historian, is very choosy with his words. You notice it over and over again in his gospel. And he says this man came back and, 16, fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. What did that look like? Fell on his face. fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. And you, you would think if you were watching just for that moment that he seemed to be, he seemed to be as attached to Jesus as to his own health. Didn't look very dignified. You get all dirty and dusty when you throw yourself on your face at somebody's feet. You wrinkle your pants. They didn't wear pants, but you know what I mean. And this guy doesn't care about that. There's, there's this huge difference. All ten of them were happy. One of them was thankful. Those aren't the same thing. And at one of these rare times, you don't see it often, one of the rare times in his public ministry, Jesus just openly registers his disappointment. 17. We're, wait a minute. Didn't I, didn't I heal 10? Where, wait a minute, where's, where's the other nine? Are they where's the nine? It's quite a question. 
And right at this point, it becomes very important how we handle this text. What, what is Jesus doing with those two questions? He surely isn't just asking for information. We're not all ten cleansed. Do you think Jesus knows that already? Sure he does. Where are the nine? Is, is he asking for their location? Well, two went to Starbucks. One of them uh, is at McDonald's. Is that what he's asking? Where, where are That's not what he's asking, is it? What, he, what he's saying is, why aren't they here? That's what Jesus is asking. It's not their location. It's, why aren't they here at my feet? And those words are just meant to be, for people like we, a ringing rebuke a little bit. The nine should have been there. The nine missed their moment. Something should have happened in their hearts. Nine of them. Something happened in their body, but didn't happen in their hearts. It's supposed to happen in their hearts, but it didn't happen in their hearts. Now, there. That's kind of a brief outline of the story. We're about halfway done. Most of us know the story, but, but why is the story there? I mean, we know from John's Gospel... He tells us that not all the things Jesus did are recorded in the New Testament. We know that. John says so. Accounts were picked, selected, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to fit a divine purpose for each gospel for the church. So what are we supposed to see in this account? I want to keep going. Four. What are we supposed to see? Am I supposed to learn how religious I can be when pressed by a need and how mindless I can be of Christ when I don't have any glaring ones, at least? It's not a far reach to see that lesson in this story. Here's what, here's what John Calvin wrote hundreds of years ago about this account. Listen to these words. There comes to many... A transient faith that vanishes as quickly as it comes. This particular disease, playing on that word, is too common. That our minds are moved to seek God when necessity presses us, but after we have received what we ask, an ungrateful forgetfulness swallows up that feeling of godliness. Thus, listen, thus need and hunger often beget faith, while abundance kills it. That's a bit of an ouch for a North American church, isn't it? My dad used to tell the story. I've shared it once before. Sorry if you've heard it. I just like it. It's my dad's favorite story. A little boy was born into a family. With great joy, they welcomed him into the house noticed very early in his development that he never spoke. Years went by, six years old, seven years old, ten years old, eleven years old, not a word, not a sound. He's twelve years old, sitting at the breakfast table. Mom and Dad have sort of grown accustomed to the, the silence. Suddenly he looks up. These eggs are cold. Well, of course, they, they drop their cutlery. They, they're in shock. You speak! 
You can speak. Why did you wait so long? Well, up till now, everything's been pretty much okay, he said. <laughs> it's a true story. We get like that, though, with God sometimes. I've done it myself. You've probably done it. I've sure seen it. People get very serious about Jesus when they're very sick and they want healing, when their marriage is falling apart, when they want their Christ-rejecting teenager to come back to the Lord. If God has done anything good for you, oh, I don't know, perhaps forgiving you all your trespasses, I don't know, maybe in his grace, giving you eternal life that conquers death in the grave. Maybe bearing all your shame and disgrace. What permanent change, other than being forgiven, what permanent change has that made in your heart? Where are the nine? I, I've, I touched ten. Why aren't they here thanking me? Five. Am I to learn to strive to fulfill the purpose of all God's acts of kindness in my life? I said earlier there's no indication these were ten godly men whom Jesus healed. We don't know anything about their moral qualifications. We know nothing of their spiritual background. Yet Jesus showed kindness to them, which makes us ask the question, why? Why is God's kindness extended to anybody? Well, Pastor John, he just loves us. I, I know he loves us. God doesn't just do anything. He's very brilliant. The Bible record seems to give some answer. Romans 2.4 Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? and patience, and I'd underline if it was Sunday morning, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's supposed to keep me close to him, soft-hearted, deeply in thought. Jesus shares some thoughts on the very same subject about God's kindness in Matthew 5.45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So, so I put these two passages together like this. Father God doesn't just mete out blessings based on merit, for sure, or my capacity to deserve them. So we know his gifts aren't rewards in that sense. So then why does the kindness and goodness of God ever come our way? And Paul's answer is, God's kindness is meant to lead you. Romans 2, 4. Don, God's kindness in your life. It's meant to keep you constantly tender-hearted, humble, and repentant before him. God sends gracious blessings to the just and to the unjust. Most of his gifts, not all, are free 
and never earned. God extends kindness that through his kind acts, people might be drawn to him with loving, humble, adoring, repentant hearts. That's the purpose of the kindness. That's the method behind the love. That's the motive behind the grace. So the purpose of God isn't just that I appreciate the blessing I've received. Every blessing received is to make me like that Samaritan. Every blessing I receive is to make me fall at the feet of Jesus. Now come back to the story in Luke 17. One man returns to Jesus after receiving his healing. And the man hears something from Jesus that the other nine never heard. And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. When? When did his faith make him whole? Think about it. Was it, was it when he went to the priest with the other nine and was healed of his leprosy? Is that when he was made whole? Or was it when he returned to Jesus, fell at his feet, and then Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. I don't think it's just theological nitpicking. I think it has significance for me, for each of us here. Luke has already warned about the possibility. There's the possibility of receiving something from God and not maintaining the benefit of what's received. Here's, here's just one example. In chapter 11, Luke 11, 24 to 26. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, this is a fascinating account to me. It passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I didn't know evil spirits talk to themselves. I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. So we know these aren't good spirits. And they enter and they dwell there where he was initially. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. What do you make of that account? I mean, Luke tells of someone delivered from a demonic stronghold, but in spite of that grace, that blessing, that healing, that gift, the individual couldn't grow, couldn't continue in the freedom he had gained. And we finally know those last words. The last state of the person is worse than the first. Now, keep that little story. Back to this one returning healed leper. The man comes back to Jesus with his healthy body. All ten were healed. This one comes back and he receives words from Jesus. He falls at the Savior's feet. He's received grace outwardly, but he doesn't want to be empty on the inside. Healed isn't the same as whole. There's outward grace. There's inward grace. There are healthy bodies and there's a healthy heart. Something is brought to completion for this one 
that never happened in the other nine. Last point, six. Thankfulness to God is more than courtesy. What I want to say is this. It completes the process of loving God with your mind. Let me give you just one example from the scriptures. 2 Peter 1, 5-9. For this very reason, you know most of these words. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness. It's quite a list. Godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. <clears throat> and then he says, verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be unfruitful even with knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Listen, having, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. There was this blessing of forgiveness and, and, and this, this Christian that Peter described has forgotten it, like the nine. They were healed, they received blessings, but they didn't come back to Jesus. They weren't mindful. We all know those beautiful verses about the life of Jesus is to be increasing, verse eight, in our lives. So, so what keeps these qualities from growing in my life? What keeps those qualities? There's about eight of them listed there by Peter. What keeps them from growing in your life? Well, Pastor Don, that's easy. Sin. Sin keeps those things from growing. And I'm, I'm anxious. I'm anxious to try and point out that that's close to, but not quite what the text says, if you look at the words. Those verses in 2 Peter go a bit deeper. Those verses tell me why people allow sin to remain in their lives in the first place. And the plain shocking truth is that those verses don't teach that sin is the number one problem that a believer might have. It's serious, for sure, but it might be my second problem. My first problem is I tend to forget the cleansing work of Jesus. I get that in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Is there cleansing for this person's sin? The answer is, of course there is. That's what Jesus does. He delights to. Has this person received grace? Apparently, because otherwise there'd be nothing to forget. He has been cleansed from his sin. The problem is, he doesn't think about that. He has, there's the words, forgotten that he's been cleansed from his sins. And you can't live with a renewed mind forgetting the blessings of God. You're going to find yourself falling into the same sins over and over again. Not because there's any shortage of grace, but because you're not dwelling there. This holy remembering 
It's a great theme in the New Testament. Be a good series one day for somebody to do. Holy remembering. Paul says that purity in your Christian life and mine, living with a renewed mind, purity, it's impossible without holy remembering. I, I get it. Let me just read it to you. Romans 6, 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's talking to Christians. By no means. How can, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Something's not connecting right here, right? Do you not know, here's remembering, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God blesses those who remember. So, you know what? We need the example of that one Samaritan, the other good Samaritan, who didn't just receive blessing from Jesus. All ten of them received wonderful grace from Jesus. One of them was made whole because it brought him back to Jesus' feet in, in thankfulness. And, and here's what happens. Following Jesus is so much easier with this kind of thankfulness because then the ways of Jesus aren't a burden. They become a delight because, because we're pursuing them with gratitude and joy and not a religious chore list. And don't make the mistake of thinking the world won't see the difference. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that's the grace received. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But there's the fuel. Remember that good Samaritan. The other good Samaritan. Okay? Thanks, Lord, for your word. We're just grateful for time and time again when it speaks to our heart. Because the Holy Spirit works in it. The sword of the Spirit. So anything that was impressed on my heart, anything that was impressed on our hearts tonight, is not an accident and it's not just brain cells functioning. It's your spirit speaking to our hearts. Help us to be good listeners. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.